The Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that you have carved out for us to come before you, to learn of you and your ways, to teach us like only you can through your word. Father, amidst all the distractions of a Sunday morning, the getting dressed, the fixing of meals, the many things that we have to do, dear God, we find ourselves here seated, uh, still worrying about the stuff of life. We ask, oh God, that you would settle our hearts. Oh God, you would settle my heart. Clear our minds, prepare our hearts for your honor and your great glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A simple message this morning about a reminder. Usually, uh, when um, we want to remember something, we, we do things. Uh, some of us would write it down. Um, some people tie things on their finger, on their hand. <laughs> I'm not sure how effective that is, but we do things to remind ourselves. Uh, and we go back to it from time to time and we have fond thoughts. It could be a old movie stub of the days when you were dating that triggers off a uh, uh, an emotion. It could be a old love letter with uh, the perfume still on it. Um, some of y'all I missed on that one. <laughs> but reminders help, don't they? This morning I want us to briefly look at Second Peter uh, chapter 1, where Peter is about to die. The Lord has informed him that he is going to die. And Peter is wanting to leave a reminder for the body of Christ. First Peter chapter 1. It starts out, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Just for the sake of time, verse 12, Peter goes on to say, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He goes on to say in verse 13, he says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of 
reminder. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will be diligent, Peter says, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Jump over to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Peter again shares his heart. He says, this is now, beloved, the second time I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. Reminders are good, aren't they? And obviously Peter, with the precious time that he had left, was wanting to remind the saints of some things some pertinent things, but it wasn't anything new, it was something they knew already. Last week, we celebrated Holy Week, and uh, we had lots of reminders, didn't we? There was the cross. Uh, if you watched any of the religious broadcasts on television, you would have seen um, movies related to uh, that day, that awesome day, that incredible day when Jesus in obedience to God went to the cross on our behalf. We participated in a number of occasions in the Lord's Supper where once again we were reminded, as was this morning, where we were reminded of what Jesus did for us. The bread symbolizing his, his body, the blood, or the, or the cups symbolizing his, his blood that was shed. And being reminded of scripture where it says, for without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sins. Reminders are good. The question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, in light of the fact that you and I are convinced that we are indeed living in the last days, what would it take to live our lives in such a way that when Christ returns, we're found spotless and blameless. What was it that Peter was wanting to remind us, to remind you, to remind me of, that we knew already that would cause us to live each day as if it was our last? What would it take, what would be the thing to remind us that at any moment, you and I can be absent from this body and present with God. Well, we don't have to guess. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Peter reminded the church in general of the way that they had come to saving faith. As a matter of fact, when I first read this, the first person I thought about was Abram. 
Back in Genesis chapter 15, God had promised Abram some things. He said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you descendants. This is back in chapter 12. He gets to chapter 15, and he repeats his promise to Abram. And Abram says, well, God, you know, that's all great, but it's just me. And my wife's barren. How on earth are you going to make a nation out of us? We don't have the 3D footage behind the scene trailers of what all transpired in those six verses of, of Genesis chapter 15. But we come to Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 where scripture says, And Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham came to the firm conviction that what God said was absolutely true. And being convinced in his heart that what God said was true, Abraham ordered his life according to that truth. There was a time in your life and in mine, some recent, some much further back, where we came to the place where we became convinced in our heart that what Scripture said about Jesus Christ was 100% true, and as a result of believing that what Scripture said was absolutely true about what Jesus Christ did for you and I, we became convinced in our heart. And Scripture says that it was also counted to us as righteousness. So when Peter says in chapter 1 of Second Peter, he says, to those who have received the same, or who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that you and I are sitting or standing in good company. Pause there for a minute. Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk with Jesus? To see Him? To touch Him? To laugh with Him? Can you imagine hanging, <laughs> hanging out with a bunch of 12 men who probably were the goosiest bunch of fellas on the planet? I don't think it was a, uh, you know, we kind of paint this picture of Jesus where, you know, the 12 disciples are walking behind Jesus with this staunch face. Can you imagine how loopy Peter could have been? Listen to what John says. In 1 John chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. Listen to what John says. He says, what was from the beginning, he's talking about Christ, what we have heard, what we, we, we have seen what, with our own eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John goes on to say, to say, what we have seen and heard, guess what? We proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. These guys were saying, hey, listen, we are giving you a first-hand account of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And Peter is saying, listen, I don't have long. My time is short. But I want to remind you of some things. And he says, first of all, I'm talking to those who have the same kind of faith. Peter was embracing everybody 
who believed in the saving, the finished, the complete work of what Jesus Christ did. Then he says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior, or Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So Peter, in an effort to remind the saints, said, listen guys, you have the same kind of faith, the same kind of saving faith, the enabling faith. As a matter of fact, the question we want to ask this morning is, how on earth do we live in light of the fact that we are in the last days? You know, many people are trying to do it in their own strength. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. As a matter of fact, you remember when Y2K was big news? <laughs> and you remember the, the, the big uh, push that everybody was going to to get ready. As a matter of fact, we were living in the U.S. at the time, and they made us buy all these water bottles. I still got them. By the way, there's a hot sale right after church. I'm selling water bottles. No, I'm just teasing. But we made all this preparation. Y2K, Y2K. You know, there's something bigger than Y2K coming. We live, we live so... Can I use the word flippantly? That's allowable in church. We live so flippantly. We, we, we get up in the mornings. We go about our day. We charge through the day. We get through that to-do list. We get home. We slam the door. Turn the television on. We eat a big meal. We go to sleep. Over and over and over and over and over. And, and, and never once do we ever stop and say, God, could, could it be this moment? Could it be today? Could it be right now? Could it be just before I put that next fork in my mouth? Peter is saying, listen, you and I are living in the last days. And he says, trouble is coming. Trouble for those who don't believe. And if you read the rest of Peter, Second Peter accurately, Peter goes through all of this and he lays out for the saints who they are and he tells them how they're going to be enabled to live in spite of what's coming. As a matter of fact, in chapter 2, he says, there are going to be false teachers coming to the church. Coming to a church near you, false teachers. And he lays out how to identify the false teachers. In chapter 3, he says, he goes on, he says, beware the mockers. He says, there are going to be some in the church who are going to say, man, listen, you're still waiting on Christ to return. And so Peter uh, 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 takes the time to say, hey, listen, remember, we all got the same kind of faith. We have come to the firm conviction of who Jesus Christ is. We've touched him. We've heard him. We've sat with him. And we're proclaiming him to you. As a matter of fact, when Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you, he doesn't just end there. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you where? In the knowledge of God. What's grace? I'll tell you. Grace is unmerited favor. Isn't, isn't, isn't that, that's what we've heard, right? 
It's, it's, it's. You know what you deserve, right? And we don't get it. It's like being told, in my particular case, like my grandmother would say, boy, wait till your ma get home. Those are awful words to hear. Mom pulls up in the driveway. Grandma tells mom what happened. You know what you deserve. You know your goose is cooked. You know you're going to get the left side of your body just torn off. Listen to what Peter says. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Even though it's a salutation, listen to what he's saying. He says, God's unmerited favor is going to be multiplied to you. Peace multiplied to you. And guess where it all happens? In the knowledge of God. Let me ask you something. Before I ask you, peace. Oftentimes when we think of peace, we think of peace in the context of no trouble. Isn't that how usually when we think about peace? But is that usually the case in the life of the believer? No stress. No worries. Hakuna Matata. So either, when he says grace and peace be multiplied to, this, this whole idea of, of peace is such that I can be in the middle of a storm and still rest in the knowledge of who God is. Can you do that? When all you know what is breaking loose around you, can you stand firm in the knowledge of who God is? They say we're in a recession. Can we stand firm in light of who God is? You say, Brother Rutherford, you don't know the husband I have. You don't know the wife I have to live with. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, Peter says, and it's going to happen in the knowledge of God. Grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And he goes on to say, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. If I could just leave one quick note with you. Peter's about to die. He wants to leave a reminder with the church. False teachers are abounding. False mockers are running rampant in the church. 
And he wants to leave one small reminder. Well, it's a huge reminder of how the believer is to live in light of the fact that they, even back then, thought they were in the last days. 2,000 years later, ladies and gentlemen, we're still in the last days. And the message is still for us. And here's the reminder. He says, look at verse 3. Seeing that God has granted to you and I everything that we need to live and to live godly. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to you and I everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so by them, by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its own lust. Let me just cut through the chase. When you and I became convinced in our hearts that Jesus was the Son of God, when you and I became convinced in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and died for your sins and my sins. According to scripture, by the way, when we became convinced in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, giving us the hope of eternal life, do you understand that in that whole process, you and I became righteous? You and I took on his divine nature. We, we, in a sense, took off our old robes and put on the robes of righteousness, the robe of Christ. Peter was trying to remind the church of this fact. He says that not only do you have the same faith as ours, you have Jesus' divine nature. In other words, guys, you can walk the same way Christ walked. Peter says, saying that his divine power, God's divine power, has been given to us so that we can live in such a way that people see our lives and see it as godly. Let me ask you something. How do you respond when you get bad news? How do you respond when Things don't work out the way we had planned it out to the T. Uh, do you go kicking and screaming, or do we pause and say, "God, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you teaching? What are you trying? What are you slowing me down for?" I get a flat. Well, and I don't like being late. <laughs> I got a meeting. You know, 10 years ago, I'd have been still kicking that tire. But as I've grown in my relationship with God, as I've, as I've grown and gotten to know Him in His Word, I, I don't cuss and spit anymore. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that in church. Hey, believers don't do that. But you know what? We think it. Don't we? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, no, no. Yes, we do think it. And then we turn around and say, God, don't you know I have to be to that meeting? As if God didn't know. 
Don't you know this meeting? I've got a lot riding on this meeting as if he didn't know. And we never stop to pause and say, well, God, what is it you're protecting me from? What is it you're trying to show me? And, and, and listen to what Peter says. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Ladies, I got one for you. You, you. you got an event, and you got everything planned out, and you got the outfit planned out, only to find that it's got a rip in it, or it's got lipstick print on it. How do you respond? And your husband's in the car blowing his horn. How do you live godly? No, don't answer that one. <laughs> The, the point I'm trying to, 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 to solidify in our hearts and our minds is, ladies and gentlemen, is one thing to come to church and we get all warm and fuzzy in Jesus and we leave here and say, boy, we had a good time in church. But how do we live out there? How do we live beyond these doors? How do we live in the long line in the bank when there's only two tellers on? <laughs> how do you, how does this translate when you're in the line at the fast food restaurant and the person saying, um, huh? You said it five times. And then you get to the window, I said, I, I'm, I'm being mean at this point. You get to the window there. And some really unholy thoughts go through your mind, don't they? Listen, Peter says that God has granted to you everything you need to live godly. But it starts with us being aware of the true knowledge of God. You know, children do some interesting things. That, no, that wasn't, that wasn't a eureka moment. I, I know there have been many before me who have children and would amen what I'm saying. How do you live godly in light of the interesting things that children do? Why did you hit your sister? I don't know. It just looked cool. How do we live in light of the fact that you and I are in these last days? And you know what? They're watching us. When I say they, I'm talking about people out there. You know what's going to be fun? When we finally say the last amen, and y'all break off out there on Collins Avenue. <laughs> How nice are you in traffic? We run over each other. We... <laughs> Peter says, seeing that his divine nature has granted to us everything. Pertaining to life and godliness. Husbands, how do you fight in a godly way when you have a disagreement with your spouse? I got an amen. Wives, how do you, how do you submit in a godly way? I can't say the ugly S word in church, should I? How do you in a way that would glorify God, place yourself under your husband's authority, even though you disagree with him, and still be godly. 
Peter says that God has granted to us everything we need to live godly. But Rutherford, you don't know the wife I got. No, I don't. Rutherford, you don't know the husband I got to live with. No, I don't. But Peter says that God has granted to you and I everything we need. But it starts with you and I being firmly grounded right here in God's Word. That's how we know. See, if I wasn't in here, I wouldn't come across that passage that said, Husbands, live with your wives. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, isn't it? But you know, God's heart is that we excel still more. God's heart is that we continue to be sanctified, set apart, made ready for His good work. So we have the same kind of faith. We have Jesus' Christ, God's divine nature placed in us, placed on us to be able to do what He's called us to do. Um, <laughs> grace and peace grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God excuse me You have his divine nature. And he's saying to you, go out there and live it. Tonight when we come back, we're going to talk about how. All we wanted to show you this morning is that you have been enabled by the Spirit of God to be able to be God-like, to be godly, to be righteous. We always say, well, well, it's hard. Sure. Well, you don't know what I, the stress I go through. That's fine. I can't help myself. These children, you don't know these children. You don't know the neighborhood I live in. You don't know the neighbors I have. You don't know the church people I work around. And what is Peter saying? He's saying, you have a faith. You have God's divine nature. And God has given you everything you need to live godly. How about it, ladies and gentlemen? No, it ain't a fancy sermon. But you know what? I think if we take the simple things and take the simple things, the simpleness that we know and go out there and live it as if we really believe it, what a change we'd make on this island. What a change we'd make in this region. If we just took the simple things that we knew of God. We didn't, I'm not saying go home and memorize the whole Bible. I'm just saying take what you know and live it. Because understand, you have His divine nature, and God Himself has given you, He's given me everything we need. Some of you are about to face some difficult challenges this week, and you're even looking forward to Monday. But you know what? Understand, God has given you everything you need to live godly.
I'll say it one more time. God has granted to you everything. Everything. Now, does it mean that I now know how to go and change the oil in my car? Is, is that what this is talking about? <laughs> no, 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 no. It means that you and I can go out and live our lives in such a way that everything we do, even if it is messing up an oil pan, God can still get the glory. I can't. I can't. And he never said I could. God can. And he always said he would. But you and I first need to be reminded of what Peter said, that you bear his divine nature. And he has granted to you and I everything that we need to live godly in Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. God, may your name be glorified in us and through us for your good pleasure. Dear God, for those times when we have missed the mark, for those times when we have forgotten who we are. For those times, dear God, that we have misrepresented you by our behavior, by our thoughts, by the things we've said, we ask that you would forgive us. Oh God, give us, give us another opportunity. Give us opportunities, dear God, where we can live in such a way In such a way, dear God, that um, we would bear to the world, bear to the fact that we do possess your divine nature, that we can live righteously, that we can bring honor and glory to your name. And Father, as we do your bidding, May men see our good works and glorify you. For you honor in your great glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name.